John chapter 10, if you would turn there, please. John chapter 10. I was going to ask John Adams if he was related to the second president of the United States. <laughs> Family line go back? <laughs> well, I got my answer. Didn't I? <laughs> the account was read for us this morning in John chapter 10, beginning of verse 22. And I gave a title to the message this morning. And the title of the message we usually put in the bulletin in is the the title of the message is, The Jews said to Jesus, Tell us plainly, and they meant if you are the Christ. And Jesus answered, I told you. Now that is not a good title for a message. In fact, uh, if I had a homiletics teacher and I turned that in, I would have gotten an F. Okay? Uh, however, I like the title. Okay? I liked it. I really do. Because it's stating... A fact that Jesus um, stated to the people who surrounded him in the temple area, uh, they said, tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? Are you the promised one? And his answer was, I told you. And I thought, you know, that is, that is really interesting. It really is. Jesus, when he spoke, he spoke clearly. And, you know, when we share the word of God with others, I think we need to be developing a greater confidence and in um, communicating who Jesus is to those who don't know him. Now, I'm not saying that sometimes we get caught up in terminology that maybe those who are not, do not have a church background don't understand. That can happen. We have to be careful. However, when we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, multitudes of people do not know who he is, who he is and uh, what he has said. Right? So when you talk to people about the Lord, normally speaking, uh, when, when we're in submission to Him, the Holy Spirit's going to take what you say and He's going to use it. Whether you're talking to a non Christian or to a believer who you might say, well, this believer's out of fellowship with God. You know, if, if you communicate God's great love for individuals, and of their real need for Jesus Christ, and this morning we're going to talk about who he really is, it's amazing what the Holy Spirit will do to get into their thoughts and get into their mind. I gave one of those tracts to someone, a millennial this past week, and he said, I told him, I said, this, this tract uh, tells us of uh, the true meaning of Christmas, that Jesus Christ left heaven and came here for us. And you know what he said? I will read it. Now, I, I believe the guy's going to do it. And... Uh, whether he's read anything like that before or not, I don't know. But it is amazing we have a unique ability to communicate who the person of Christ really is. Because he has told us clearly in his word uh, who he is. He says, I have spoken clearly. And multitudes of people have heard about Christ and even given the clarity of the message about Christ and have not responded to him. And we will be talking about that. Now you'll notice it says in 22 uh, verse 22 of John 10. Now it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Okay, now the Feast of Dedication is also called Hanukkah. Now this time of the year we realize and we hear it often, even uh, from the media. We celebrate as Christians, we celebrate the birth of Christ. Jewish people celebrate Hanukkah. 
two different things. I think it's interesting that uh, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, that he declared himself to be the light of the world. Now you say, well, no, wait a minute. That was back in John chapter 8. It was back in John chapter 8 because Hanukkah followed the Feast of Tabernacles where Jesus revealed himself to be the light of the world. But you see, multitudes in Israel had heard him say, I am the light of the world. Now when he said that, he's declaring his deity. He's declaring his purity before the Father in heaven. And we'll talk a little bit about this in a few minutes. So the point is, when Jesus said, I told you, he, he had already told them who he was. Who he is. Um, I think it's interesting when you go through the gospel, specifically the gospel of John. Where John says, these signs are written, the miracles of Jesus were given, that people might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And when you believe in him, you receive spiritual life. You're taken out of the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of God's dear Son. But Jesus said to these people in chapter 10, uh, I and my Father are one. Now you see, he's building on the fact that he'd already told them who he was. But boy, when he said, I and the Father are one, what did they want to do to him? Yeah, they wanted to stone him. And see, people today don't understand who Jesus Christ really is. He's God the Son who came here to earth for you. And, and we're serious when we communicate the person of Christ to others. I'm going to repeat this later. But you know what's interesting? Chuck Swindoll used this statement about a week ago on his radio broadcast. He said... There are too many people who are not serious about God. Wow. And he said, now I mean Christians and non-Christians. Sometimes Christians, we, we're not serious about knowing we have the Savior. We have the message of life. And, and we need to be praying for people away from the Lord. We need to be giving tracts to them. We need to be communicating with our neighbors. And I mean me. There are multitudes of people who are not serious about God. Jesus Christ, when he was with this crowd of people in the temple area, he was serious about who he was. In fact, he said also in John chapter 8, he said this. Listen to these words. Therefore I said to you, you will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am. The I am who appeared to Moses in the Old Testament. And we're going to talk about the I am's in John's gospel a little bit. You see, people will die in their sins. They won't go to heaven without the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and the impact of this is strong. It really is. Jesus then went on to say in John 8, he said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you're going to realize who I am. Very interesting. Now, for the Jewish people, uh, December, like for us, is a festive month. The biggest holiday is Hanukkah. Uh, it's called also not only the Feast of Dedication as it is here in 1022, but it's also called the Feast of Lights. Hanukkah celebrates actually an event which uh, is big to the people of Israel. Okay? But you see, we celebrate the person of Jesus Christ. Now let me give you, show you the contrast. Hanukkah celebrates the cleansing of the temple in 164 B.C., in the intertestamental period. It celebrates the time uh, when the 
temple of the Lord, of the true God of Israel, was rededicated. The word Hanukkah means dedication. And uh, it was rededicated because prior to this, the king of Syria, Antiochus Epiphanes, defiled the temple. He actually went into the temple and sacrificed the, sacrificed the pig on the altar. He, he was a treacherous with the people of Israel. He was a bad ruler, Antiochus Epiphanes. In fact, he claimed that he was really like just like God. And the things you read about him are incredible. So we have this Hanukkah celebration celebrating the victory over Antiochus Epiphanes who defiled the temple. Judas Maccabees and his group of men uh, overran the Syrian army and went in and cleansed the temple. And when they cleansed the temple, they again lit the candelabra or they call it the menorah. Now, the miracle that happened at that time, which the Jewish people think about when they think about Hanukkah, is told to us that um, at the time of the cleansing of the temple, the Jews found a small jar of consecrated oil. And it was used in those days for the lighting of the candles in the temple. Well, the oil that was found was in a very small container, a small little cruise of oil, which only should have lasted one night, but it lasted eight nights. And so that's why at that rededication of the temple, overtaking the Syrian army who went into the temple of God and defiled it, when Maccabees, the Maccabees went in and they took over the temple and restored the worship to Jehovah, the true and living God, that's when this lighting of the candles took place. And instead of being enough oil in the lamp, uh, rather in the cruise for one night, it lasted for eight days. And so as a result of this, uh, Judah, Judah Maccabees said, every year from now on, Jewish people will light candles for eight days in commemoration of the victory over Antiochus Epiphanes. Very interesting, I think. Uh, because you can, with your knowledge of what this is about, you can say, wow, that's interesting that you celebrate uh, that uh, as your Jewish holiday. But you know, we celebrate Jesus Christ, who referred to himself as the light of the world. And uh, there is a real contrast. And I thought it was interesting as I'm looking at the text of Scripture and we see that Jesus coming towards the end of his public ministry is gathered around people, or rather they gather themselves around him, and they ask him the question, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, the promised Messiah, tell us plainly. Remember what Jesus' reaction was? I told you. I told you. And this reminds us that the problem was not the clarity of the message that came from Christ. The problem was with them. They heard the, in, uh, the uh, information about Jesus, but they did not respond to the truth of what Jesus said. They lacked, and here's your key, they lacked repentance of their sin and faith in the Messiah. 
and see people who don't know Christ, people who aren't going to heaven, their problem is twofold. They don't recognize that their sin will keep them out of heaven. And then secondly, they don't recognize that Jesus Christ came in order to pay the price for their sin. And that was the problem in that day. They uh, did not believe the words of Christ. He came as the light of the world. In fact, the Apostle John said in John 3, Light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Our, our youth pastor in, um, reminded me of this is uh, uh, in uh, New York. He said, I had guys come up to me, and he said, you know, he said, by the way, before I was saved, I was part of a, um, a motorcycle gang. And he said, it wasn't the kind to go around and do good things. Uh, we didn't do so good. And he says, uh, I, I started seeing some of them. And uh, he said, I told them that I received Christ as my Savior. And one of them said to me, I'll never forget this. One of them said to me, boy, you've changed. Uh, you know, wow, your life's different. Uh, why don't I change? And he said it this way. And it, he didn't mean it in a negative way. But he says, well, because you like what you're doing and you like your sin. Man, um, but that's true. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 3. People who do not come to Christ love the situation they're in and don't see their need for a change of heart and a change of life, what Jesus Christ can do. Um, very clear. Je Jesus was always clear. In fact, the Word of God is clear as well when it says anyone who truly seeks the truth will find it. Anyone who truly seeks the truth will find it. You say, where is that? Well, Jesus himself said in John 7, My doctrine or my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. And if anyone wills to do his will, he shall know about my teaching. Is that not clear? If somebody really wants to know the Lord, if they really want to have their sins taken care of, if they really want to go to heaven and spend eternity with God, if it's, it's, if it's real, that sincerity, Jesus said, if anyone wills to do his will, John 7, 16 and 17, he shall know. In other words, the desire for truth. If it's there, it's amazing what the Lord will do. That's very important. I remember back at my home church, uh, there was an um, auto mechanic who um, used to come and fellowship around a number of us. I worked at a... Um, uh, a car repair place for quite a while. I knew him well. And uh, he wasn't saved. And you know, many of us were praying for this young man. And our youth pastor's name was Jack Taylor. And uh, a couple of us went to Jack Taylor and we said, boy, this guy's hearing about the Lord and he's not responding. And, and Pastor Taylor said, I got an idea. He says, I'm going to talk to him. And so uh, we heard the story and we rejoiced. It, it's a story with a good end. The pastor Taylor said to this young man, auto mechanic, he said, uh, if you want to uh, be sure of going to heaven, having your sins forgiven, tell the Lord you want to know the truth. You really want to know the truth. There's a lot of things you've heard. A lot of people are telling you all kinds of things. Tell them, and and uh, pastor Taylor said, the young man got down on his knees and he said, Lord, I've heard these people have been talking about Jesus. If, if you're the true son of God, if you're the one who came for me, I want to know you. 
And Pastor Taylor said, really? He said, that was the point of that man's salvation. He stood up and he said, you know, <laughs> I think something happens to me. He said, uh, all that I've been being told about Christ, he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior. It's interesting that the Lord Jesus, when he was talking to these who did not believe in him, even though he talked to them plainly, he went even deeper into the reasons why they didn't respond to Christ. Why they did not understand his words. Why they did not understand the significance of the miracles that he performed. And Jesus said from his standpoint, pardon me, from their standpoint, from the human standpoint, they were not his sheep. Now that is really interesting. Did you see that in verse 26? But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. Whoa. You know, we who have responded to Jesus Christ, we're the sheep of his pasture. And we're going to talk a couple minutes now from now how he's watching over us and how he's taking care of us. But he said specifically to these who uh, actually were rejecting Christ, um, he said, you are not my sheep. And uh, he clearly again says to them, I have spoken to you plainly, telling you who I am. Now what I'd like to do for just a couple minutes, a little insert here, is for us, as we're in this Christmas season, as we're understanding the birth of Christ, Jesus leaving the glories of heaven, coming down, being born uh, as a man, as a babe, flesh and blood, in order to die for our sins, let's remind ourselves that this Jesus, who was born in Bethlehem, is the one who meets the deepest needs of our lives. In fact, you see, when he said, I have told you, they really weren't listening because they were looking for a Messiah who would be a political leader for them, who would get them to be not under the bondage of Rome, uh, who would be a political leader, but not one who would take care of their deepest needs. Christ takes care of our deepest needs. Now, it's interesting with these um, I am's. You can write down, he's the I am, and this is the need that Jesus meets in our lives, okay? First, the first one he says is John 6.35, where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Now, what need does that make or meet? Our need for contentment. He is the one who truly satisfies us. Jesus said, John 6, 35, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. In fact, once you come to Jesus Christ, you realize you don't have to do religious things in order to be right with God and go to heaven. Because Jesus Christ made it possible for you to have spiritual satisfaction. And you won't hunger or thirst for a relationship with God himself. He said, I am the bread of life. What need? Contentment. Second one, he said, I am the light of the world. What kind of need do we have there? Where Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. It's amazing when you stop to think about it. A lot of people are in spiritual darkness. They don't know Christ like you do. Uh, they, they feel comfortable in their um, secularism. And they, sometimes they don't even think about the fact that there's a life after this life. But Jesus, you see, he came as the light of the world. And uh, he satisfies the need for direction. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. And you see, because you've trusted Christ as your Savior, 
it's amazing how the Lord is leading you along. We were looking at this verse the other day in the men's study. Um, it says, the steps of a good man, meaning a righteous person, one who's responded to God, is ordered by the Lord. And you would be amazed if you could stop to think about it, how often the Lord has worked in your life and caused you to make some choices and decisions and to go into certain places and to do certain things because he's guiding your life as the light of the world. Third one, quickly, uh, he said, I am the door to the sheep. And uh, you've heard of the uh, sheep folds that were in the land of Israel in the time of our, when our Lord was here on the earth. And there was only one door into that sheep fold. And the shepherd stayed at that door in order to protect the sheep. Well, the, the obvious is here when Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep or the gate of the sheep. He is our need for protection. And he does protect us. And he will protect us. And that doesn't mean that we will not be in dangerous situations in this life. But he's going to protect you and your inner being and your relationship with him. Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Wow, our security in Christ. When you lead someone to Jesus, one of the best things you can do is to remind them that they're saved forever through faith in Christ. The fourth one, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and our need for salvation from sin is found in the shepherdness of Jesus Christ. The I am the good shepherd, Jesus said, John 10, and he said, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And the fifth one, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. I love this verse. I love this verse. This is a verse that settles our need for hope in the future. And believe me, there will come a time in all of our lives when we have to remind ourselves that our future is secure in Christ. And we know where we're going if something happens in this life. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. Our need for hope is found in Jesus Christ. And I made some vows for some memorial services and communion services. I made a couple vows. One is to say certain thing at the beginning. And at the beginning of a funeral service or a memorial service, I love to say this. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now, it doesn't mean it's not hard and difficult for the family. But for the Christian, it's very precious because the Christian goes to be with the Lord. The other verse is the John 11:25, where Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he or she may die, yet shall they live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Uh, somebody asked me just this past week, who was that that said that made that statement? Um, when you read in the newspaper that I've died, don't believe it. I'm more alive than I ever was before. That was Dwight L. Moody. He had quite a sense of humor. And uh, he was stating truth. He was stating truth. When you read in the paper, D.L. Moody has died, don't worry about me because I'm more alive than I've ever been before. John 11:35. And the, the next one is very clear. John 14:6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in that context where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, see, he's speaking in that very context of his disciples, but there's the need for peace. He had been telling them that he was going to go to the cross and they're starting to visualize the fact that something's going to happen here. They didn't really understand it. 
But Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in the Father, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. And I am the way, the truth, and the life, our need for peace. Let not your heart be troubled. And the last one, the last I am, is the fact that Jesus said, I am the true vine, John 15, 1. And actually, this settles our need for purpose in life. Because Jesus said, when you have me, when you come to me, I'm the vine and you're a branch and you're connected to me. And you will always be connected to me. And as a result of being connected to me, Jesus said, if you live in fellowship with me, you're going to have a fruitful life. And there are a lot of people floating around who do not understand the purpose of life. When Jesus said, I'm the true vine, he talked about the need for purpose in life. He's the one that makes our lives fruitful and purposeful. And by the way, if you know a young adult or even an older adult, and they ask you the question, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with this subject of purpose in life. Get that book by Rick Warren called The Purpose Driven Life. I am not going to say in any Christian book I would agree with 100% of every word stated, but I'll tell you what, it's an excellent book. It says the purpose for our being here is to have a relationship with our Lord. It's a great book. Someone may be struggling, get that book. That would be good to pass on to them. Now quickly, very, very quickly. Remember Jesus said to these individuals, I told you. Many times he used the I am phrases. And I just want to pull a quick review on three of them. One is the bread of life. Jesus Christ gives us satisfaction. You see, one of the things that you can do when you're witnessing to someone, maybe even in your family, is you can say, you know, I am. And I've heard you say this, by the way, many of you in the fellowship. I am so thankful for what the Lord has done for me. And what he has done for me, he can do for you in your life and experience. Doesn't mean that life's always easy. Uh, oh, Christians go through tremendous trials. In fact, um, yeah, I forget the name of the book, but we started studying in the Saturday morning men's Bible study. Give me the name of it, somebody. Call it out. The Red Sea Rules, that is an excellent book. It takes the principles of God's dealing with the people of Israel. Uh, actually, Exodus chapter 14, they came to the Red Sea. The Red Sea was in front of them. The mountains were around them. And this Egyptian army was behind them, pressing in on them. And uh, we as believers sometimes, we have Red Sea experiences. Some things can really difficult come into our lives. But you know, we can say to people, listen, I've had my own trials. I've had my own needs. Maybe I'm having them now. But Jesus Christ is with me. He's the bread of life. He's the one who satisfies. The second one he said was, um, he said, I am the light of the world. And he who follows me shall not walk in darkness. And you could hear um, the testimony of many believers who say, now this is how I was before I was saved. And this is how I am now that I know Christ. Because he's the light of the world and he's helped me not to walk in darkness. And I deeply appreciate Nick's testimony. Uh, 21 years um, in a very difficult situation. And yet God stepped into his life and changed his life. He saw Jesus to be the light of the world, which he is. And uh, it's amazing. Um, 
shall not walk in darkness. When I think of that, I think of the prophecy in the Old Testament where it said, and I love this verse, it said, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in that region and the shadow of death, light has dawned. In other words, remember in your Gospels, your Gospel accounts, Jesus went from the area of Jerusalem and, and, and he went up into the area of Galilee and he had a great ministry in the area of Galilee and these Gentiles, non-Jews. And the Old Testament said, that's a land of darkness. That's a place where the Savior needs to go. And that's the place where he went and the prophet Isaiah says, and when Jesus was there, there was a great light. Wow. There's some areas in our country today that are great darkness. I've had people tell me, oh, I lived in this city, in this part of the city, and oh, boy, was it rough. It's a dark area. But you know, um, well, didn't Jesus say to us, you are the light of the world? So when you go into one of those dark places, uh, Christ can use your witness for him as the bread of life, the light of the world, the shepherd of the sheep. The last one, quickly, is shepherd of the sheep. Wow, that's ultimate protection. The shepherd used to sleep at the gate of the uh, fold that kept the sheep in there. And uh, this is a beautiful, beautiful picture of what Christ does for us. And you know, uh, I, when we think of this, stay with me for just another minute. Jesus calls us sheep. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I think from time to time we have to continue to remind ourselves how is it that we can hear the Lord? How is it my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me? Now, how does the Lord speak to you? You know, it would be neat to have a, a service where we get up and say, boy, I'm going to tell you when the Lord spoke to me last. Not audibly, not audibly, but he does sure communicate with us. He communicates with us things that he wants us to do. And I wrote three of the things down. You could make a longer list for sure. And you know what's all the way at the top. God speaks to us through his word, through the scriptures. If we are believers and we're not opening our Bibles during the week, if our Bible's closed, you're missing out. You're missing out on the ability of the Lord to take a verse of scripture and remind you to pray more, uh, to love more, uh, to be expecting his return. You know, we are in a minority when we're looking for the rapture, the return of Christ, right? We're in a minority. There are multitudes of people in our country, even who claim to know Christ, who are not looking for Jesus' return. Some days I feel like going out in the backyard and looking up and saying, Lord, is this it? You coming? <laughs> love him too, wouldn't we? We would love him to come. So God speaks to us primarily through his word. And if we get into God's Word daily, we will hear from Him. Unless, like you say, well, wait a minute. Do we always hear from Him? Unless we don't have our sins confessed. Unless we're out of fellowship with the Lord. He does want to speak to you. Psalm 46.10, the Lord said, Be still and know that I am God. My sheep hear my voice. The, the second way we hear the voice of the Lord, and this one's good, it's through the peace of God. You know, sometimes, sometimes you have a tough decision to make. Am I going to go here now, or am I going to go here later? Uh, do I 
should I talk to this person now or should I talk to them later? Lord, I really need your guidance. And so you pray and you understand Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God comes into your life. And so that, that, that's the beauty of God speaking to us. Sometimes I have heard you say, some of you right here, you know, I had this huge decision to make. And I prayed about it, and I had real peace. But that's what God wanted me to do. That's the Lord speaking. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And the last one is, and I think this was important too, godly counsel. God sometimes uses other believers to encourage you. And that's how the Lord speaks to you. That's why it says, and we're not there yet, but in Hebrews 3.13 it says, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now that's strong. That's powerful. It says, exhort one another daily. I had a man in New York. He used to remind me of this verse. And he used to say, remember D? Minister to others daily in the body of Christ. Now, we live apart from each other, but we do have these things. And we can minister to one another, can't we? That's how God sometimes speaks to us. Sometimes he'll take another Christian who says, wait a minute, you really need to commit this to Christ. Or this other Christian may say, wait a minute, that's not really the route you should be going. And, and I know sometimes we say, oh, i got to be so careful because i got to take care of my life. Yes, but if you're in fellowship with the Lord and you're deeply concerned for another brother or sister, remember that the Lord can and wants to use you. In fact, it says in the book of Colossians, you are competent to counsel. And that's a term that was used for a Christian counseling book. My sheep hear my voice. Proverbs 12.15 says, He who seeks counsel is wise. So the next time you have a big, huge decision, it would be good. Husbands, confer with your wives. Wives, confer with your husbands. But also, there may be times when God wants to use someone else in your church family to encourage you spiritually. Well, Jesus Christ, the light of the world, Born, placed in a manger, but he's the one who came to be the bread of life, the light of the world, and the door to the sheep, the good shepherd. And we want to continue to listen to his voice so that we in turn will be able to not only celebrate Christmas, but be able to tell what the special meaning of Christmas is, that the Christ who left heaven came here and died and paid for my sins and now he lives for me he lives for me as the bread of life and the light of the world and the good shepherd and you know he's taking pretty good care of me as well let's pray